The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. It's Gary Parish. It's Tuesday, August 18, 2020. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me, and he delivered some nice non-league scheduling news late Monday. Gonzaga coach Mark Few told Norlander, the Zags will play Terry Teagle's alma mater this season. Scott Drew, the coach of Terry Teagle's alma mater, that's Baylor University, confirmed the development as well. So it'll be Gonzaga-Baylor at some point in the 2020-21 season. Those two teams are, by the way, number one and number two in version 25.0 of the CBS Sports preseason top 25 and one. So this is a It's a nice deal. Norlander, it's your story, so I'll let you take it. How did Gonzaga-Baylor come together? How likely is it that this is actually going to happen? If you talk to Mark Few, it's more likely in his eyes than I think a lot of uh, casual observers would would say because Mark is – determined to, uh, to to bring positivity and optimism to this college basketball season, both conference and non-conference play. And yeah, listen, I, this is a wonderful bit of news for college basketball. This is the kind of uh, flexibility that college football doesn't afford itself. And this is, I think, unprecedented. I mean, I couldn't tell you if there were any late scheduling changes in the mid-60s or late-70s or early-80s that allowed for two preseason top five teams to schedule each other in mid-August for the forthcoming season. But we have it here. And whether, listen, I do think Villanova's I would have Villanova, I think, as number one. But you've got them one and two, which makes the selling the story all the bit better. Um, the fact that you have these two coaches at these two programs coming off, they both would have been one seeds last season, GP. They had six losses last season. And, yes, they are two of the three best teams heading into next season. To, to look at the situation, not be scared in terms of, quality of opponent, see an opportunity there, and be willing to schedule each other is great. I won't ramble too much, but obviously the reason this was able to happen now is because of the Pac-12. Since we podcasted last week on our normal, if you will, podcast, I can't remember if the Pac-12 had made its decision or not. The days obviously continue to blend together. But when the Pac-12 eliminated all non-conference competition in all sports until January, a decision, by the way, which... You and I have been talking to plenty of coaches in the past three to five days for uh, different stories and different reasons. I've had at least 10 of them express, like, what on earth is the Pac-12 doing? Just complete befuddlement over that. Regardless, when that happened, 
Oregon was scheduled to play Baylor in Las Vegas in this new Pac-12 coast-to-coast challenge where Pac-12 teams and Big 12 teams are going to face off. That got wiped out. So Baylor had an open game on its schedule. Gonzaga, three Pac-12 opponents. It was going to host Arizona in the return game. They played Arizona last season. Host Washington in a return game and then was going to play against USC in Portland for a Nike event. Those are all now gone. So Mark Few's working some other stuff as well. But this particular game was one of three to fill. And so since the Pac-12 made its decision, now we have, at some point, hopefully, Gonzaga playing Baylor in what could be the 43rd or 44th overall one versus two matchup ever if they can both be ranked that high. We don't know when because they're going to wait on news with when the season can start, how it can start, and then have flexibility to schedule after a key component to this GP. Both coaches told me they have multiple dates and options open to allow them to move the game where they want it in November, December, or even potentially January if we get a quirky kind of schedule uh, eventually down the road. I believe the Pac-12 news did um, come out in advance of our last quote-unquote normal podcast. I, I feel like I remember discussing that. The biggest news that has happened subsequently um as it relates to the sport of college basketball, I believe is NCAA president Mark Emmert acknowledging that bubbles are possible for college basketball. If you remember, I I wrote a column early last week, um, sort of explaining you cannot, if you're college basketball, make the same mistake that college football did, which is just assume, hey, we'll be able to play one way or another. Like you need to start putting contingency plans in place and, I suggested that that involves conference bubbles. And since, and and, uh, obviously the pushback I got from people, um, just random readers, and then also like some, not, not many, but some media members was like, you can't put student athletes in a bubble. Well, the NCAA president says you can. Uh, The the, the Big East commissioner says you can. Uh, Michigan State's athletic director says you can. Like, so enough important people and have have since I wrote that column signed off on conference bubbles in some form. Maybe not exactly the way I explained. Maybe so, but maybe not. But conference bubbles in some form, if we need them, they're going to happen. Mark Emmert has already, you know, made that clear, or at least as clear as he's willing to make it in August. And the explanation is simple. It's a billion dollar check on the table. You either complete some season and get it or you don't. And they can't afford to leave that kind of money on the table two years in a row, one way or another. And I'd be interested to hear what you think about this. Um, Since I wrote that column, I have talked to a whole bunch of administrators, college coaches, and I am more optimistic today than I was, say, a month ago that there's actually going to be a college basketball season. I'm not sure what it'll look like. I'm not sure when it'll start, but, and I think this ties back into your Baylor Gonzaga story. College basketball coaches have taken it on themselves Mm -hmm. to start brainstorming. How can we do this? Like, Scott and Mark didn't just decide, hey, we both got a game open. Let's, uh, uh, some dates open. Let's play. They've been talking and they've been talking to other college basketball coaches and, when I talk to those people, my understanding is these conversations are happening at the top of the sport. And I don't mean just in on NCAA uh, with NCAA uh, uh, with Mark Emmert and Dan Gavitt and conference commissioners. I mean, the best college basketball coaches in the country, Jay Wright, Tom Izzo, John Calipari, Mark Few, uh, Scott Drew, uh, 
These guys are having conversations with each other, Zoom calls with each other, and they are trying to figure out how to salvage their season. And I really do believe, I genuinely believe that one way or another, regardless of what happens with college football, we're going to have college basketball, and it's because they are preparing for it now, and they have been for a little while now. College football's PR quagmire of the past two to three weeks has wound up being a benefit to college basketball in this sort of way. Um, The backlash to conferences like the Pac-12 and Big Ten, and I'm not making uh, a judgment call on what they did. I'm just telling you the way that college football handled this or mishandled this, where you've got three power five leagues still staying on, two bowing out. You've got a couple at the uh, at the uh, the group of five level that have also split along the way. It has really uh, shined a, a big, bright spotlight on how college football has so many different interests acting independent of each other. And college basketball is just not like that way. And if anything, it's more determined now than ever to show that it doesn't act that way. Now, one of the biggest reasons why, and I mentioned this on a previous podcast, is because of the NCAA tournament. The NCAA runs the men's basketball tournament. And so because of that, you have... Uh, just links left and right because there was a common interest with that tournament there. So you're absolutely right. Mike Krzyzewski has gone on the record. He hasn't spoken a ton on the record since this pandemic hit, but he did speak on uh, an ACC Sirius XM show in July, basically you know, sounding the bell saying, if we don't have a tournament, the NCAA is in ridiculous amounts of trouble. To, sit, to state the obvious, but still, he in that, in that interview, he also said that he was working behind the scenes with any kinds of contingency. So Paris is absolutely right. Um, I do think that there are as many as six or seven different kinds of regular season scenarios, models, however you want to term it, that are are currently being discussed right now at the head coaching level, within the NABC, with conference commissioners, with Dan Gavitt. There's an important piece of news that came out on Monday – and just in just its presentation, it wasn't huge news. It was just the NCAA through Dan Gavitt, the senior VP of basketball, saying, we will give you what you want to know about whether the season can start on time or not and what kind of delay by the middle of September. And you know what? Even getting that signals so much more organization on the basketball side than we saw on the football side. Uh, so I'm with you, Parrish. I do have more optimism. A lot of this is also informed by just... I've, I mean, through text or phone calls, I, I've, I've talked to probably close to two dozen coaches in the past 72 hours here. And yes, there's a lot of bitching. There's a lot of wonderment. There's a lot of complaints. There's a lot of worry. Um, a lot of it d- has to do with testing. But the idea that we're going to have a season in some form, there's a ton of optimism behind it because you can't have an NCAA tournament if you don't have a season. They're going to get a season done. It's just a matter of how. I do want to, before I throw it back to you, I just want to I want to read you Mark Emmert's quote if anyone missed it. It can't be more explicit than this, okay? Uh, they need them. The tournament's an amazing thing, but schools, so many of them need the revenue from the tournament to sustain most of their scholarship sports. So here's what he said. If we modify the model, this was Friday on the NCAA Social Series thing with Andy Katz. Shouts to AK. If we modify the model, shrink the bracket sizes, do everything in a predetermined sites instead of running kids around the country, move toward bubbles or semi-bubble models, that's a way to do it. He was speaking both to postseason and regular season play. As for Final Four flexibility, we are looking at alternatives, moving backward if we need to, that backward meaning pushing the season back to April or May. He did say that obviously they're in contact with TV networks, CBS and Turner, and he said these are, quote, not insurmountable problems. And then the last thing um, he said, 
if we need to do a bubble model and that's the only way we can do it, we'll figure that out. Uh, at this point, there, I think it's going to be done, and I'll, I'll put a bow on this right here, GP. Those quotes came less than 24 hours from a very important development. It's not the only development, but it got a lot of run over the weekend, rightfully so, in that Yale, in conjunction with funding from the NBA, has another saliva test, which is different from the one I mentioned last week on the podcast with Colorado, where it is a, and it's been approved by the FDA, fast-tracked. It's a sign that we can hopefully, in the next few months, get to a situation where we have saliva tests that can give you results within the same day that are cheap at labs that have the technology to turn this around all around the country. You can't have a season if you can't have all these teams testing and getting results back fast. So that's why I'm with you. I do have optimism. I can't give you a clear answer on what the season will look like, but I do think that college basketball is going to be able to pull off something of a misshapen, but nonetheless, a regular season. Yeah, that development over the weekend was was huge um, because right now the problem with testing is it's very expensive, so everybody can't do it. And the larger problem is that the reason you can't get results back quickly, like it took my wife seven days, eight days to get a result back, and that's like not abnormal at all in the United States in these times, is it's not because the tests aren't available. It's because we don't have enough labs to process the type of tests we have right now. My understanding with this new saliva test that is approved by the FDA is that basically any lab can process the test. It, like if you have a lab, you can you can handle these these tests. And so I think the number I saw was as cheap as four dollars a test. And though there is some, you know, it's I, I can't remember if it's 80 or 90 percent. I think it's ninety percent, four dollars to produce the test, so you put it up to maybe ten bucks to actually have it be a cost, and then yes, accuracy is ninety percent. But if you take it twice, right, ninety nine percent accuracy. So basically, when you take a test, you would give two saliva samples to try and get that ninety nine percent accuracy. Exactly right. So like this makes everything easier, not just with getting sports, but like um, having campuses open, having restaurants and bars open. Yes. Um, you know, so uh, that's encouraging, and. Listen, in a perfect world, what Dan Gavitt will say in middle of September is, hey, our country's got this virus under control because we finally started taking it seriously, wearing masks, social distancing, although <laughs> recent pictures from the University of Alabama and the University of North Carolina are obviously not encouraging. But play along. Let's be optimistic for a second. Hopefully, Dan Gavitt can announce in the middle of September, our country's in a good place. Testing is an amazing place. You know what? We're going to start the season on time, and the leagues that want to play um, are going to be able to play. Like, you know, hey, Austin P. if you've got a game at Michigan State, go to East Lansing and play your game. Like, maybe that. And then, hey, um, we're not going to have to go to conference bubbles. Um, we've got Syracuse at Virginia um, on a Monday night. Like, mm -hmm. uh, no fans or limited fans, but, like, we're playing. We're traveling and we're playing, like Major League Baseball is right now. Maybe that is what will happen. But if it doesn't, and I think this is the most important thing we can stress, the people in charge of college basketball are way into the preparation mm -hmm. for being able to do other things. And one of the coaches I talked with threw out the idea of many non-league bubbles. Like they all acknowledge that if they have to go to bubble for conference, that's going to be left up to 
the conferences, like the Big Ten will figure out how it wants to do it. The Big East will figure out how it wants to do it and so on and so forth. And some leagues might just decide we're not going to do it. Like the Ivy League might decide that's beneath us. That's fine. Like I wrote in the column last week, then we respect your decision. We'll see you next year. Uh, The rest of us are going to play. I ultimately think that's the way this is going to go. But one coach said, okay, so uh, league bubbles are league bubbles. We'll figure that out. A lot of different ways to do it. We just know that we can do it and we will do it. But non-league, how do we play a non-league schedule? And one coach, and I'm, I'm certain you've, you've heard the same thing, uh, suggested to me that he is already in conversation with other high-level coaches about doing little non-league bubbles to create a non-league schedule. So let me explain what I'm talking about real quick. Um, and I'm just, I'm randomly picking teams. The, the teams don't matter. Sure you are. It, It's not an indication of who I've spoken with. But let's just say, for instance, uh, Michigan State, Villanova, and Kentucky decide, okay, we're going to create a bubble. But we're also going to include Austin P, North Texas, and Akron. So that, you know, like non-league schedules are... Got to get those dubs, man. Got to get those dubs. (laughs) That's exactly right. Nobody wants to... Come on now. Come on. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. Nobody wants to create a bubble where you might go one in five against nothing but top 20 teams. Like, ain't nobody trying to mess up their Wikipedia page like that. So the idea would be, and you can do a 16 bubble, an 18 bubble, a 12 team bubble. I don't care. But like for the purposes of this conversation, let's call it a 16 non-league mini bubble. Michigan State, Villanova, Kentucky create a bubble. They say, hey, Austin P, North Texas, Akron, you join us. Everybody flies to Lexington or Philadelphia or East Lansing or Chicago, whatever. It doesn't matter. You figure that out. Here's the key. What you might be thinking is, well, the smaller schools can't pay for this. You're exactly right. Or you're probably right. The big schools pay for it. This is what the coach suggested to me. We've all got charters. We will send them a plane, put them on it. We'll pay for their testing and we'll pay for their hotel accommodations in exchange for normally we'd give them $90,000 to come play us. Okay. We're not paying you to come play us now, but we will pay for all of your stuff and and create an opportunity for you. So what you do is you have everybody quarantined on their individual campuses, six teams, Michigan State's at Michigan State, Villanova's at Villanova, Kentucky's at Kentucky, so on and so forth. Everybody quarantines on campus, test, 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 test. Then you all fly to wherever this mini bubble is going to be. Again, the big schools pay for all of it. Then you test, 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 quarantine for, let's say, four days because the NBA is now operating where if you leave the bubble, as long as you were tested while you're away from the bubble every day and the tests are negative every day, when you return to the bubble, you only have to sit out four days before you can rejoin your team. So like Mike Conley, whenever he rejoins the Utah Jazz in the bubble, he doesn't have to quarantine for 10 days. If every test he's taken while away is negative, he only he has to quarantine for four days once he's back in the bubble. So four days, clearly the NBA has decided is good enough if you've been tested outside of the bubble. So it'll be good enough for us as well. So you fly to wherever this bubble is, Test, quarantine for four days, test, 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 start playing. You do five games. Everybody in the bubble plays everybody else. So you get five games in, say, eight days. And if you do that twice, you do one bubble, go back to your campus for a couple weeks, do another bubble. You can do 10 games non-league in a span of maybe five or six weeks. A normal non-league schedule, by the way, for a power conference school is going to be anywhere from 11 to 13 games. So you can basically cover that number of games, get close to it. And that's 10, 10 is absolutely an acceptable number in a pandemic. 
Of course, like college football teams aren't going to play full right. schedules like they normally would. So uh, 10 non-league games is totally acceptable. And so what I was encouraged by is that coaches are thinking along these lines. Not only think they're preparing. They're, like I'm telling you, Matt, I'm telling you because I know college coaches are already saying, hey, you want to you want to make a bubble with me, you and so and so over you know Ooh. that school. Want to sit at my I, table? <laughs> yeah, I mean it's really. Come hey, sit over we, here, Austin P. Yeah. Hey, don't you take a yeah. hey Lipscomb? Come over here, take a seat right here. That is what is happening right now. Yeah. And so again, um, and by the way, if 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 the Pac-12 schools can't participate in this because they're not playing in November, it's fine. Like I, I think Major League Baseball is showing us right now. The goal is to get through it. It's not to be perfect. The Cardinals have played like three games all season. Like yeah. if the Pac-12 schools can't participate in these non-league bubbles if we need them it's fine we will judge them on their body of work whatever it includes when it's time to put a bracket together but for the teams that can do it and want to do it um it's an awesome way to as one coach put it to me cross-pollinate for the metrics to allow to have non you know teams from different leagues play each other and then we get into our conference bubbles if we need them and we we get through that however we get through it we have a selection Sunday. We have an NCAA tournament. Somebody gets a championship. NCAA gets a billion-dollar check. Cross-pollinate was the term I used in my story last week, so my, I'm a, I can only assume that that coach uh, was reading and uh, decided to borrow the term, which I'm all for. Hey, by the way, um, a couple things here. Since you mentioned Pac-12, uh, I, I've, I've hit up coaches in close to 20 leagues at this point. It, it is absolutely the expectation that no other – conference is going to make these decisions before we find out in mid-September. So just to, to inform the audience, uh, I would be genuinely shocked if before mid-September any other conference decided we're not playing basketball. I don't think that's going to happen. So the Ivy and the Pac-12 have made those decisions. I don't think we'll have it anywhere else. Um, I have heard a variation of what you just laid out. I do love what you laid out there, and you're absolutely right. It is happening. The question becomes if the coaches and through basically the NABC, the National Association of Basketball Coaches, which works closely with the Men's Oversight Committee and the Men's Basketball Selection Committee, uh, if they can all agree to these kinds of things. And there's no doubt they're going to be laid out with, with all sorts of contingencies. Another one I heard uh, is a coach at a high major program said coaches would prefer about the week of Thanksgiving. So basically that Monday of Thanksgiving week, that's when non-conference play would start. And then you play them in pods. And one coach laid out a situation where you have four teams, three games a weekend. You get it done in a weekend's time. You do that two or three times. And then in January, February, then conference play begins. That's the the head coach I spoke to said other coaches he spoke with. So I presume this is also at the high major level. That's their choice. But he also couched it with. We will do whatever we have to in order to have a season, but the pods would be a high preference. There's still, I'm not going to get too in the weeds on this on this podcast here, but I will have a story later this week. Uh, be sure to seek it out about just the questions about non-conference scheduling and a lot of the thorniness that is going on. Just for an example, since you brought up Austin P, uh, whether intentional or not, we, we mentioned Matt Figger's program briefly before coming online here. I spoke with Matt Figger on Tuesday about a whole bunch of stuff. He brought up a couple things. One, Nashville is an, it's a hotspot right now, but if it can become not a hotspot, I wasn't aware of this, but our Nashville base will know this. GP, Lipscomb, Belmont, and Vanderbilt 
are all walking distance. Figure said that you can be walking on Vanderbilt's campus and practically stumble onto Belmont's grounds and not even know it. So the point is, if you don't have students and there can be some sort of arrangement that can be made, you can use practice gyms, actual arenas, and that can be a, that is one ideal site that could be used for X amount of time to hold what you presented there. Eight, eight teams or so, 10 teams, or if you had something that was lower, like three or four, that's certainly an option there. But he also brought this up. He said, listen, I am caught in this brutal spot. Austin P right now has seven open games on its non-conference schedule. That is an absurd amount in mid-August. Normally, if you're a mid to low major and you got a good see, the problem is Matt Figger has two of probably the five or six best mid-major players on his roster, so no one wants to play him. But normally, by mid-August, coaches are scrambling to fill maybe one or two more games. The dude has seven. Now, he told me, if I wanted to do home-and-homes with a Northern Iowa, he said he thinks New Mexico State's in the same spot where it might have four or five open dates right now because New Mexico State's always good. Shouts to Chris Jans. Then I could do that. But I bring in more than $250,000 for Austin P and buy games annually because he gets about four or five. He has one buy game right now, TCU. So he's trying to somehow navigate filling his schedule and maybe trying to get one or two more buy games. And this is the other issue. Obviously, these rates are dropping. They're not 90,000, 100,000 anymore. They're literally 25, 30, 40,000 because the schools that would pay, they're not going to have fans in the stands. They're not going to get the returns at the gates there. So when we talk about building out this schedule, a lot of the smaller schools that could hopefully play part in those kind of pods with power conference teams, or if you had something that was mid to low major exclusive only, those schools are still very nervous about their viability as an athletic department going forward because they need the NCAA tournament first and foremost, but even absent that, or even including that, I should say, GP, if you don't get the buy game money, they're still going to, from an athletic department standpoint, there's still a lot of potential big fallout, and the coaches take a lot of the responsibility upon themselves. So they're just, a school like Austin P is in a rough spot and desperate. We mentioned Pac-12. Like UNLV lost two Pac-12 opponents. Can Austin P convince TJ Otzelberger and, and UNLV to do a one-by game for $35,000? So those are the other things. When we talk about this non-conference stuff and trying to pull off a season, the lower schools that are so dependent on that buy money are really in a super scramble mode, not just to get the games, but if they can even pull off the buy stuff. And if this is at neutral site, to your point, which is a great, and it might have to be, then those teams are not going to be paying buy fees to begin with. So uh, a lot of other stuff still needs to be taken into consideration when we talk about how we're going to get a schedule done, but optimism still, it's still pretty high across the sport. Given that it seems unlikely anybody's going to play like the schedule that they have in front of them right now in the way that it is presented on a website somewhere yeah. like, Oh, today, today we're hosting this team. And, and then, uh, uh, the four days later, we're going to be at this place like that possible seems unlikely. I don't know why anybody would buy you right now. Mm -hmm. Like why, 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 why would you like, is it better for you to play one less game than you wanted to play than it is to pay somebody money to come play you in a game that is right. unnecessary to the big picture and it's money you can't recoup because you can't have fans or you have a very limited, I just yeah. like, listen, I, 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 I hope Matt gets it all figured out, but I don't know why somebody would buy you um, under with so much uncertainty right now. I guess I'd put it this way. There are a lot of contracts that are already signed. They'll have to figure out how to manage those. There is no way I'd sign a new contract right now. No shot. And I mean, I was sp speaking with a few other coaches on Monday, they said, and these were like mids and lows, uh, a lot of the contracts that got done were right 
like you know January, February, early March. Some got signed after, and those contracts have addendums on them. Like if there's no fans, then this rate drops by fifty percent. So that's been a big thing. But you mentioned the uh, the releases of the of the schedules. Uh, here's a quick little trivia time. How many schools is your, do you think have officially released their schedules to the public right now as of August eighteenth? First, you must properly um, introduce trivia time. Trivia time. Okay. Okay. Let's go. Okay. Okay, well, I just, you want me to ask the question again? Yeah, you have to start over when you introduce trivia, trivia time. Though. Okay, let's go. How many schools have officially released their schedules to the public as of August 18th? 47. The answer is 16. And shouts to the D1 Docket, uh, the Twitter account that tracks this stuff. I, I contacted the person behind that, and they're helping me with this research on this story. And then trivia time. Okay, let's go. In a normal off-season by mid-August, approximately how many schedules do you think are released to the public by this point? 282. Okay. It's about, it's about 175 to 180 at this point, and a lot of schools usually, like the mids, release them right about end of August, early September, so you get another, like, 100 in a big batch. 16 versus 180. Okay, and obviously a lot of these schools, like uh, there's a number of big tens, like all the power conference schools have their schedules done, just about all of them. One head coach at a, at a Big Ten school told me on Monday that he was actually waiting for the contract to be signed by another school. Uh, but other, other than that, they're just done, but they're not releasing them because it's almost like, what's the point? They're not going to play that kind of schedule. Um, but it is, it, it's certain, and another Big Ten coach told me, because uh, I was like, just I'm curious why you guys, if you guys have had your schedule done for six weeks, like why haven't you released it? And he goes, did you see what happened in football? And referring to his league, I'm like, oh, yeah, no, I got you. But you could have released it a month ago. No one has been because everyone has known for a long time that starting in November is an absolute pipe dream. November 10th, at least, that is. So um, there's just a lot still to be figured out with all of this. Um, Parrish, do you, how about this, though? Because I had this brought up this week as well. I do expect this to happen, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to stink. I, hope, I certainly hope it doesn't. Um, but I think coaches are bracing for this in a big-picture standpoint. We're getting through this. Hopefully, testing is better. We can test frequently and, and get it to hold a tournament without hiccups, hopefully. But in terms of the regular season, um, the, we are going to have one school play 24 games. Probably some other schools get totally screwed and play nine games, 11 games. Other schools play 17 games. League play is going to vary. Some schools might be able to finish their league schedule where other schools fall four games short. Do you agree or disagree that that's probably what we're going to be looking at at the college level with the obvious precursor that, you know, we, we are going to have a regular season? I'll take it a step further. I think some some schools are just not going to play at all. Yeah, uh, I, I think some conferences are maybe not going to play at all. Like I can see us envision a scenario where the SEC says we're going to create a an SEC bubble in Nashville and play. And I can and and while the Ivy League says that is beneath us, we're we, you know we're not doing it. Uh, I, I don't think every legal play. I don't think every team will play. And I, yes, I do think that we are going to have wildly different numbers of games played by schools, just like we have wildly different number of games played in Major League Baseball right now. Like, I'm just looking at the standings in MLB right now. The Yankees have played 22 games. The Cardinals have played 10. Uh, you know, I, I think that's what college basketball standings are going to look like come, you know, into February. We're going to... Um, look up and some school's going to play 
you know, 20 games and some teams still going to be stuck at like 14 or 11 or something like that. But I do. And, and I, that's fine. By the way, guess what? NBA just completed a regular season. Teams didn't play the same number of games. They went by winning percentage. Major League Baseball is going to go by winning percentage. Obviously, in college basketball, winning percentage doesn't matter that much because we have a selection committee. It doesn't your 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 win total um, or winning percentage doesn't dictate whether you make it to the NCAA tournament or not. But that's why I said earlier, and I think this will ultimately be the way it works. Um, you you will be judged on your body of work, whatever that body of work is. Like you know, obviously, it's not ideal if it's six games, but, but like. If somebody if somebody plays thirty and somebody else plays seventeen, we're going to judge you on your body. We're going to do the best we can. Yeah. We the the goal is a simple goal. I mean, it's not simple to execute, but it's it's the only thing that matters. Create a bracket and play an NCAA tournament. However you get there, reasonable people can disagree on. It's just important that you get there. And I do believe, and I guess we can put a bow on it with this. I do believe we'll get there one way or another. I think there's going to be a selection Sunday and I do believe there's going to be an NCAA tournament. Isaiah Joe re-entered the 2020 NBA draft on Monday. We're going to get into that unusual story next, but first check this out. Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. So Isaiah Joe, the Arkansas guard, re-entered the 2020 NBA draft on Monday. It's a big blow to Eric Musselman's Razorbacks. And the reason I wanted to spend just a few minutes on it is because it's an unusual story. It is one that Cal, not Cal Porter, Cal Boone and I discussed when you were on vacation Um I guess late last month, maybe early this month. And one of the things we noted, because our old colleague Sam Bassini had pointed it out in a column at The Athletic, is that the August 3rd deadline for underclassmen to withdraw from the NBA draft was an NCAA deadline. But the NBA's deadline wasn't until August 17th, so yesterday, on Monday. And one of the things we noted is that just because somebody withdrew from the draft on August 3rd didn't mean that they couldn't re-enter the draft before August 17th if they wanted to. Now, we didn't expect um, like a whole bunch of people to do it. We, we just left open. We just made it clear that it's possible for somebody to do it. And Isaiah Joe decided to do it. And he cited COVID-19 concerns, the uncertainty surrounding the season. And though I hate it from us, I hate it from my friends who are Arkansas fans, um, I understand. Like, there's so much uncertainty surrounding this college basketball season. We agree um, that we believe there is going to be a season that looks like that. A season is going to be played. What it looks like, 
unclear, but a season's going to be played. But, like, if your dream was to come back for your junior year and play in front of a jam-packed Bud Walton arena and try to win an SEC championship, like, it's just not going to look like that. And if you are interested in getting on with your professional career, whatever that looks like, um, again, I hate it for Arkansas, but I, I kind of understand where he's coming from. And any other player, and by the way, he's the only one that did this, yeah. took advantage of this loophole. But if any other player on the fence about the draft decided to do it, I would have understood. Yeah, I don't know if anyone's ever done this before. Um, I imagine maybe it's happened back, you know, six years ago, let alone 20 years ago. Uh, the, the deadline dates for college, for the NCAA, and for the NBA were never the same. And then that, that was always silly, in my opinion. Uh, and so finally, they, they fixed that. The both entities actually came together, and it had changed in recent years. But it wasn't the same this year because of the pandemic. And so, yes, there was this window here. And I don't, I don't blame Isaiah Joe for doing this. He's an interesting prospect in that... Um, I do think he actually has a, a real shot to have a nice role for himself as a, as a sharpshooter at the NBA level and, and can really stick there. It'll be interesting to see if he can do that and if he, and if he can get drafted. Um, either you know We know from his own decisions that he didn't think he was going to get drafted or if he was, it was going to be back into the second round and he liked his chances on uh, a top 25 level kind of team to, to return and hopefully uh, boost that stock. But obviously, he's looking around at what's happening with all of college sports doesn't have a ton of confidence in the SEC or Arkansas about any sort of consistency. Uh, so he wants to bail and try and, and try and see if he can go and make it. And more power to you, man. You'll be an interesting you'll be an interesting player to track both in the next couple of months with your stock, and then once we get to a next season, uh, if you can land the league and and how you might be able to play or you know what the G League might be doing there. But I was gonna GP. I was interested to see if anyone else was gonna do this. No one wound up doing it, which isn't that big of a surprise because at this point, even though there hasn't been a combine, players, you know, you got what you got. It's been the longest lead up to a draft in history there. And unless you're the kind of guy who thinks you have a certain skill set that is just about NBA ready and you think you've got a chance like Joe does, then all the more power to you. On the on the college front though. Um, you said and this is version twenty five point of your ranking. Can you can, can you can you recall back from memory version sixteen point Just out of curiosity, like you know, do any of these previous versions still still hang around in your brain like Rain Man? I I, I can't go out. They don't change. They usually change by a team. I just anytime there's a reason to update, I update. And so, um, yeah, I'm up to twenty five point zero, and I have had Arkansas both in and out at various times. You know, they've added you know grad transfers. Um, no, they 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 lose somebody. They they add somebody. Um, now I've dropped them out. You know, the, the truth is Isaiah Joe's a big loss for them. He averaged 16.9 points, 4.1 point rebound, rebounds last season. He only shot 34.2% from three, but he took 10.6 attempts per yeah. game, which is outrageous. And bonkers. I say that in a, in a good way. I love it. <laughs> but he did shoot 41.4% as a freshman on eight attempts per game. So his sophomore season percentage was not great. Um, but I do think he's a shooter and he's a six, five shooter. And that's why I don't believe he'll be, even though I don't believe he'll be a first round draft pick. I think you will look up in two years and Isaiah Joe is on an NBA team making shots. I, I don't know what kind of role he'll have. Yeah. I do think he will ultimately end up in the NBA. And for Arkansas's purposes, I thought this was interesting. It's something that I grabbed onto, you know, last February and have consistently noted when writing or talking about Arkansas, they only went 20 and 12 last season in Muss's first season, but they were 19 and seven with Isaiah Joe in the lineup, one and five without him. 
So that's why I was, long as you get him back and you enroll a top 10 recruiting class to go with them, they're going to be good. And I still think they're going to be good. I dropped them out of the top 25 and one down to like 31st. So I still think they're an NCAA tournament team, but they're different without him. This is a, it's a big loss for that program. All right. Tough for Arkansas, but we need to get to the real news here. And that's, that's the fact that uh, Florida State fans are pissed. I mean, we're, and, and, and since we last podcasted, uh, we need to take this all into account here. First of all, I, I, I can identify with your plight because it was, what, three years ago, two years ago, when Florida State made its Elite Eight run, and I picked, I, I picked against Florida State in every single, every single time I picked Florida State to do something in the tournament, the team did the opposite. All right. So that just unleashed holy hell on me. Okay. Florida State fans found me and it was an aggressive uh, Twitter attack over the course of multiple weeks there. Well, Parrish, first of all, go seek it out. Gary Parrish, Leonard Hamilton, wonderful column, a, a great anecdote about the late Michael Ojo. And you write this column about what Hamilton's been able to do, who he is, and and cycles and all this good stuff. And that, well, that was just Friday, by the way. It's Tuesday. <laughs> that was Friday. And then, I mean, personally, Noel, Noel Nation, I mean, I'd have FSU top 25, but that's just me. But anyway, Parrish refuses, refuses to rank Florida State. And then after that, last thing here, then you can take it. He tries to couch all this by saying, hey, oh, by the way, other fan, this is a weak move. This is so weak, Parrish. Hey, for those that didn't make the top 25 and one, Here's the next 10 teams I have listed. And then shouts to Bart Torvik for rightfully, playfully calling you out, saying that's Andy Katz's move, the top 36. <laughs> Parrish, don't lower yourself to this. You are the top 25 and one guy. Go ahead, defend yourself with FSU. Okay, first I would say this. When I knew I was dropping Arkansas out yesterday afternoon, I, I thought I was moving Florida State into the top 25 and one because they've been right there the whole time. I forgot that. And by the way, I didn't just add the, the extra 10 yesterday to, uh, to uh, get Florida State fans to relax. Because by the way, if that was my goal, it did not work. Okay. It didn't work. It was, it was ineffective. I Last week when I updated the top 25 and one, or two weeks ago, whenever the last time it was, I went ahead and I had ranked out to 36. And so it was listed in there like, uh, hey, this team is number 27. This team's number 28. This team, I did like all the way through 36 teams. So that was already established. I didn't just add it yesterday. It's been there for weeks now. But I forgot that I'd moved once LSU got Javante Smart and Trenton Wofford back. I had moved LSU to 27. So it was like Arkansas 24, Memphis 25, Arizona State 26, LSU 27, Florida State 28. So when I drop Arkansas, it moves LSU into the top 26. Florida State is literally the first team left out. And what's hilarious is that first off, I did a really nice Leonard Hamilton column last week. I figured I won you guys over forever. Beyond that, Florida State has always been 25, 26, 20 out, like for 20 five versions of the top 25 and one why are Florida State fans mad about it now like what 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 like they were also out two weeks ago nobody cared I don't remember a Florida State fan saying that so I I'm assuming I got on some message board somewhere and now people are like I just I'm just sitting here this morning having a cup of coffee talking to my children about you know, online learning and, you know, the start of school. And I just get a random tweet from Florida State fan. You know what it says? You suck at your job. <laughs> I 
I, I'm like, well, maybe, but it can't possibly be because I have Florida State 27th. There's, Can it? Yeah, I mean, the, and the, you, without a doubt, you got you got found on a message board. That own community flocked to Twitter and went after you because uh, Florida State might have. Uh, this is just a simple Google search for Florida State message board. Here are the top results. You got your FSU message board in general on two four seven Sports. Then you got Tomahawk Nation. You've got FSU's message board on Rivals. You've got War Chant. You've got the Territory, which is the web's original FSU message board. I'd love to d- dive into those archives. You've got Chop Chat. You got Fear the Spear. No shortage of the FSU online community. So just beware. There are a lot of people out there talking about the Knowles, man. So it's, get- it's, it's not like I called their Heisman Trophy winning quarterback an alleged rapist, even though he is an not, alleged. Not helping matters right now. It's just uh, here's here's a tweet from Linda Lee. She says, "Do you even do you even watch college basketball? Like not much, really. Okay. You know, <laughs> not as not as much as you would think. Not these days, especially. <laughs> this is just crazy. Like, what are you what are you what are you guys so fired up about? And I will tell you, when this is this is the this is what actually happens. Some fans assume you hate their school. Like, oh, you hate Kentucky. Oh, you hate Louisville. Oh, you hate Michigan. Whatever. Truth is." Most of us don't hate anybody. Uh, like I just, I don't have, I don't even care enough to muster you that kind of Marquette, emotion. You hate Marquette, but other than that, that's true. Here's here's what happens. Now, I I even though I love Leonard Hamilton, just had an amazing conversation with. Now you've made me want Florida State to fall flat on his face. Why do you do that to me? I don't want. I love Leonard Hamilton. Stan Jones, the associate head coach, is a fellow Memphian. I love Stan. But now these wacko Florida State fans have me hoping Florida State finishes eleventh in the ACC. I don't want to feel that way. Why do you make me feel that way? Expose some vulnerabilities there, my friend. And now. Now this is going to be one of the uh, the ongoing subplots to the podcast for the next four to six months because, as we said before, we're going to have a season. I'm and, and let me be clear, just uh, so we're clear. I'm not actually rooting against Florida State. I like Leonard Hamilton. I like Stan Jones. I, I'm not going to let twenty wackos um, make me root against something that I actually root for. But like the twenty wackos are wacko. I got no. This is. You could have been mad at version 22.0 of the top 25 and one. I don't know why it took 25.0 after a nice Leonard Hamilton column to get you all fired up, but they're fired up. Are we done here? Let's get on out of here, and then we'll do another podcast later this week. Uh, Let's go post. We got the lottery on Thursday, so let's wait till after we know the lottery results, and we'll get to our next prospect, and we can actually uh, even slot them to uh, a team based on odds for where that team will pick. So we got another one this week, but, yeah, let's, uh, let's get on up. Do you have to CBS Sports HQ for the lottery Thursday night? Not to my knowledge. Okay, I'm, I'm already booked. So we'll wait okay. for the lottery to be done, and uh, then we'll, maybe I'll go straight from HQ to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry, MF, and Teagle, legend. Shouts to Larnell. And thank you for listening once again in the middle of a pandemic. If you enjoy the podcast, please Tell one person about it. If you're not subscribed, go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts. Oh, oh, before you wrap, before you wrap, before you wrap, we should share the news. What is the news? We are we're a finalist for the podcast awards. We how we, about that? We, we made it through to the to the final round there. So apparently, as we understand it, 
there's I, I don't think the listeners can vote again. I think there's now a panel. I don't know who's on this panel. I hope there's no Florida State alum, alumni on the panel, please. <laughs> it's, it's over. It's done, okay. if that's the case. Oh, God, what if Bobby Bowden is in charge of the panel? It's over for us. We're, we got no... <laughs> It's all, over. The idea that Bobby Bowden would be evaluating and judging and grading <laughs> podcasts across the the pod sphere, if you will, is just an incredible visual unto itself. But yes, if there's any FSU alumni, we are uh, we are indeed in trouble. But anyway, that's still to come. But I wanted to thank the listener. I actually meant to mention this on the previous podcast. I forgot. We do got to get out of here. But I wanted to thank the listeners. You voted th- us through. We are among a group of finalists for best sports podcast out there. You're all awesome. Thank you so much. And because of this, I said I'd do this. We'll work out the details later. I said if you got us through the next round, then we would work on some podcast shirts. We'll figure that out. Details to come. I want to thank all of the listeners except for the Florida State fans who are tweeting me and Charlie Ward. I don't want to thank Charlie Ward. No shouts to Charlie Ward. We'll talk to you again real soon. Till then, take care. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.